This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, uh, visitors to Newfoundland and Labrador often come for our scenic beauty, of course. Uh, The beauty of the land, the cliffs, the sea, the sky, whales, icebergs, moose, caribou. But a team from Western University in London, Ontario, recently paid a trip to the province to study mushrooms. And you may be surprised to learn that fungi, like mushrooms, are the basis for ecosystems and indeed life on Earth. Well, my guests today are from Western University. They include biology professor Greg Thorne. Hello. Good morning. Master's students Alicia Banwell. Sorry. Hello, Alicia. Hello. And Katrina Kukul. Hello, Katrina. Hi so uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. So Thanks I guess <laughs> Greg, I guess we'll start to you uh, start with you. What exactly are mushrooms? Well, mushrooms are the fruiting bodies or the reproductive organs of, of fungi that live usually out of sight in the ground or in rotting wood. Some of them are familiar in our gardens. They're decomposers, and they might even grow in our lawns, uh, eating the the dead grass. Others are very important uh, in forests for providing the nutrients to the roots of forest trees. And mushrooms are just how they make spores and get from one place to the next. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What, What role do they play in the ecosystem? So, yeah, the mushrooms are the literally the reproductive part of the of the or, of the organism uh, of course mushrooms are very important food not just for us but for many different kinds of uh, animals in the ecosystems uh, from caribou and moose that you mentioned all the way down to uh, tiny little animals in the forest soil uh, and many many insects so the mushrooms we see on the surface as you've just alluded to are, are just the tip of the iceberg so to speak Absolutely. So how do they work? What, what, what happens underground, um, you know, beyond our scope or knowledge? <laughs> so the mushroom organism is composed of little threads, much, much finer than human hairs, about a, a hundredth of the diameter of a human hair, in fact. Very, very thin and extending through soil or rotting wood. And those cells release enzymes which break down things in their environment and they also suck up all the nutrients that they encounter as they explore their space. Some of these nutrients they they use for building their own bodies and in many cases some of those same nutrients they deliver to plants um, in exchange for sugars from photosynthesis. So the green plants are performing photosynthesis and taking carbon dioxide and turning it to sugars. The mushrooms use those sugars to grow, but they uh, pay back the debt with nitrogen, phosphorus, water in some cases, and other nutrients from the forest soils. So I'm visualizing a, a, a carpet, if you will, or felt, or, or, or a network, or a web. What is it like? Well, that's a pretty good analogy. And indeed, if you could take the dirt out of soil, you would literally be standing on a woven rug of mycelium. 
in a gram of soil, there's often hundreds of meters of these fine filaments that I just described. And so, yeah, these, these filaments are, are interlaced, interwoven, and exploring the whole three-dimensional space of soil right down to the bare rock. And even there, they're penetrating the rock and extracting nutrients that the, they can then deliver to the plants uh, for them to grow. So I guess my next question is then, you know, if you're doing this kind of research and looking at fungi or fungi, um, what exactly brought you to Newfoundland? Well, one simple answer is you've got lots of mushrooms and lots of forests where the mushrooms grow. Um, and of course, you've got a nice maritime climate, lots of rain uh, this summer, perhaps accepted. But um, yes, there's there's great mushroom diversity in Newfoundland. And because of that, there are quite a few people out there who are interested in mushrooms. And over the years, I've gotten to, to, uh, to meet quite a few of them through what's called Foray Newfoundland and Labrador an organization that goes out each fall and uh, gathers to collect mushrooms in some part of the island or Labrador. Um, and uh, then experts, well, we call ourselves experts anyway, folks like me, come along and try to identify some of the mushrooms that have been found. And over the years, almost 1,500 different species of mushrooms have been collected and identified through that process. So it's a great place for mushrooms. And one thing led to another, and research projects developed, and graduate students were hired, and off we, off we went. We came along to, to see what going on in Newfoundland mushrooms. Was Newfoundland and Labrador on your radar before this? Well, it's been about 20 years now that I've been coming to the foray Newfoundland. And so, yeah, before that, I was happily mushrooming away in other parts of the world. Uh, but yes, Newfoundland is a great place for mushrooms. And how do we compare to some of these other places where you've mushroomed? Well, the surprising thing is that although you don't have very many species of trees, you know, most people could name the, the trees of Newfoundland on the fingers of one hand, um, you know, spruce and fir and, and white birch and poplars, yet for those very few species of trees, you've got hundreds, even thousands of species of mushrooms associating with them. So the diversity of mushrooms in Newfoundland is really quite high, uh, comparable to some of the best areas of the world. That's amazing. And I want to uh, get Alicia and uh, Katrina into the conversation when we come back after the break, because I understand they joined you here. Uh, we'll be back right after this. My guests today are with Western University out of London, Ontario. They include a biology professor Greg Thorne and master's students Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukul. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're speaking with members of a team from Western University based in London, Ontario, who recently paid a trip to Newfoundland and Labrador to study mushrooms here in this province. And uh, uh, among the team are uh, master's students, Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukol. And um, Alicia, uh, is this your first trip to Newfoundland? Yeah, so my first time in Newfoundland was last summer when we first started the research, and I immediately fell in love with the province. So where did you concentrate your efforts? So we were staying in Lumsden, 
um, but my research site was uh, near Gander Bay. Oh, excellent, in, uh, in that uh, river valley, so to speak. Yes. In around that area. So what did you learn? What did you find? Well, I don't have any results yet, so I can't tell you exactly what I've learned. Um, I'm hoping within the next few months I'll have those results. Um, but just in terms of what we found was so many mushrooms, um, more than I've ever seen before, which means we also ate more than I've ever eaten before. <laughs> Are most of them edible? I wouldn't say most, no. Um, luckily, we had Dr. Thorne with us, who is obviously great at IDing mushrooms. So he was sort of taking control of that, IDing the ones we could eat, and then we didn't eat the other ones. Well, indeed, because that's key. You really have to know your mushrooms uh, to de- de- determine what is edible and what is not. Yes. Uh, what are the impacts if it's not em- edible? Well, it depends on the mushroom. So some of them just make you a little sick, and then some of them end up killing you. So it's definitely not something you want to take the risk on. Do we have killer mushrooms, uh, for want of a better term, uh, in Newfoundland? Yes. Oh, so something that uh, people really need to know, because I know foraging has really taken off and people are, ta- you know, um, trying that out in many different ways. And some only go with a little bit of knowledge and some go with a lot of knowledge. So it is important to know what you're doing. Oh, yes, for sure. I've been studying mushrooms for a few years now, and I'm still not uh, comfortable making those IDs. You definitely have to have an expert with you. Wow. Uh, Katrina, was this your first trip to Newfoundland? No, it was last summer was my second time. Uh, my first time was in 2019 when I attended the foray. So are you and Alicia working on the same project or uh, you're doing separate types of research? What are you doing? Well, we're doing separate types of projects. Um, her, She focuses mostly in the forest while I am along the coast and we work on different mushrooms as well. But some of the work that we do in the lab uh, does overlap. So how do the coastal mushrooms differ from the forest mushrooms? Because when I think of mushrooms, I think of these, you know, kind of uh, ice, not isolated, but uh, sort of protected kind of areas. Uh, The coast, as most Newfoundlanders and Labradorians know, can be a pretty brutal environment. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We definitely experienced that while doing some field work. But nonetheless, uh, it was still a beautiful view most of the time, having the ocean right there. Um, But... Yeah, the mushrooms, there's definitely not as many along the coast, and that's actually part of why my mushroom is pretty interesting. Well, I think that's what's going to lead into my next question, because I was going to ask you about, I've never heard of them before, but what is a bluet? Well, basically, they're these large purple to pale pink colored mushrooms, and they typically grow in forests, but... Uh, our industry partner in Newfoundland has only seen them grow right along the coast in these harsher environments. And they are quite large, but like Dr. Thorne mentioned, most of it is below ground with these filamentous-like threads. And these threads exude enzymes that break down the nutrients in the soil and absorb them. And typically they'll break down material. So they don't look like your typical mushroom, though, do they? They look a little bit like a, a rock or a stone. Sometimes, yes. Um, if the crowberry, I guess, is 
hiding them a little bit. They can look more like a stone, but when you pull back that crowberry, you can see this larger mushroom popping up. And then if you move the crowberry a little bit more, you can see this very fuzzy filamentous mat of mushroom. So are they, are, are they predated upon by a- animals? Um, Dr. Thorne mentioned, um, uh, you know, caribou and, and moose and that kind of thing. Are, are there creatures that are attracted to these things? Well, larger animals, the only one I know of are humans. I tasted them myself. They're delicious. And um, other than that, I've only seen little bugs, like springtails, really attack them. So uh, what did you learn um, studying these bluets? Well, I don't have any results yet, but um, I find it fascinating just observing them in the coastline and in these harsh environments and um, especially seeing their these thread-like uh, filamentous, we call it mycelium, that grows through the soil, can be a very purple color as well, which I find very interesting. Um, are there properties involved in these types of mushrooms that can be uh, applied to other, you know, aspects of life? Yeah, so my mushroom in past studies has shown to have antimicrobial properties against things like bacteria and other microbes. But all these studies have happened in the lab but, and not in the natural environment where they usually grow. So that's basically what I'm studying and seeing how these bluets are affecting the communities of bacteria, fungi, arthropods, and nematodes in the soil where they grow, and comparing it to soils where they do not grow, and as well soils where I inoculated my own bluet mycelium into the soil. And basically what we want to see is how is the bluet affecting these communities, and this will provide supporting information into possibly turning the bluet into an environmentally friendly biopesticide, because if we can use them in agriculture, and if they can reduce some uh, plant pathogens or pests, this would be an organic alternative and could replace some toxic pesticides that are on the market today, which can have negative impacts on the environment through leaching, volatilization, and things like that. And also because of their edibility, because they're foraged, they could potentially be a co-crop. That's fascinating. Uh, Do they maintain the same properties uh, when, uh, I don't know, domesticated or cultivated uh, as opposed to in the wild? Well, that's part of uh, what I'll be looking into. I'll be looking at the natural bluet patches and then inoculated uh, with manure, and we'll have a good comparison that way. It's fascinating stuff. So will this research bring you back to the province? Well, I've been fortunately there three times already. So, um, yeah, I I mean, I, I can see myself sometime in the future. We'll see. And uh, Alicia, will you be coming back at any point to conclude uh, your um, studies, or do you have what you need? In terms of the project, I do have what I need. But luckily, I'm coming back in about a month for the foray Newfoundland um, that Dr. Thorne was talking about in the beginning, where everyone just goes out and picks a bunch of mushrooms. So I'm very excited for that. That is exciting. Do you find that this is something that is uh, building in popularity? 
Oh, definitely. Um, I started studying mushrooms just in 2019, so not that long ago. And it didn't seem that popular at the time. So even just now, three years later, it's much more popular. So what brought you to the world of uh, fungi or, or mushrooms? Well, for me, it kind of ha- happened just as chance. So when I was doing my undergraduate studies, I wanted to be a forensic scientist, actually. So I signed up for Dr. Thorne's lab just to learn the type of techniques that I would be doing in the lab. And then as I started the project, um, I found I really enjoyed studying fungi. So it's just kind of a, a fluke. And you're hooked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Thorne, how does that make you feel to hear, um, you know, these master's students uh, getting this excited about uh, mushrooms? Well, that's what we like to see, of course. Uh, fungi really are exciting and or have been to me for many years. And I'm really happy to have students uh, take up that excitement and start to find out things that have remained, you know, inaccessible, unanswerable to me because the techniques in science have improved so greatly since I started many years ago. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful stuff. Yeah, I would imagine at one point it was a little more, um, I guess, less delicate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally my master's advisor told me never to go into the sort of things that Alicia and Katerina are doing now because it was too complicated. Um, And back then it was. Uh, We only had culturing and microscopy available to us. And now with DNA techniques, uh, Alicia and Katerina are able to answer all kinds of questions that were unassailable before. And, and, I mean, you've been around long enough to see some of these extraordinary developments in, in, in science in the last little while, because that's true of a, of a lot of fields. Absolutely. And uh, it just makes it a, a very exciting time to be a student and, uh, to be honest, uh, still an exciting time to be a professor. For sure. Now, you made an allusion to the um, extraordinary conditions of this past summer. We've enjoyed them to a certain extent, but uh, it's also rather, I suppose, troubling. Uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that and the effect that that has on uh, on fungi when we come back after the break. My guests today are with Western University in London, Ontario. They are biology professor Greg Thorne and master's students Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukul. We'll be back right after this. Join Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our our guests today on On Target are from Western University in London, Ontario, who have been, uh, recently came to the province to do some ongoing uh, research and work into uh, mushrooms and fungi in Newfoundland and Labrador. They include biology professor Greg Thorne and master's students Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukol. And um, uh, Professor Thorne, you made an allusion to this earlier. We've had an unusually hot and dry summer here. Did that cause any problems for you in the work you were doing? I don't think it caused the students, Katerina and, and Alicia, any real problems. In fact, they probably enjoyed that weather as well, keeping the flies down perhaps. And um, uh, it was better than having some of the uh, FDR that you sometimes have or sometimes the howling winds off the coast that uh, Katerina was putting up with last fall. But uh, 
for the mushrooms, yeah, they, they need that water to fruit. And so uh, we're really, really hoping that you get some rains in the next few weeks so that when we come back uh, late September, there'll be mushrooms about. Uh, the mushroom season is, is pretty sparse or, or very bleak when there's been no rain. Do they overwinter well? Yes, the, the the threads we were speaking of earlier, the mycelium in the soil or rotting wood, that's perennial. And so it lasts year to year to year. And as long as you don't get completely baked dry, it will certainly survive. And then next year, if they didn't fruit this year because it was a kind of a dry summer or a dry fall, uh, if you get a nice normal year next year, they'll they'll fruit again. So carry on. And certainly they've been with us for hundreds of millions of years, so they've they've likely seen some ups and downs in the weather uh, before. One year to the next is not that vital, but it certainly is disappointing if you're a mushroomer or a forager, and you go out there on a dry fall and you're not going to find uh, many mushrooms for your basket. I gotta ask: Are they incandescent? Do they do they light up? Oh, um, bioluminescent would be the, the bioluminescent. Word. That's the word I was looking for. Bioluminescent, and there are just a few mushrooms in Newfoundland which are bioluminescent, um, and they include a tiny little mushroom that's kind of fan-shaped and grows on dead wood, quite often on dead branches of alder along uh, the roadsides or bushy spots. Um, and that one can glow a, a, a light green, you might say, and uh, startle you if, if you're in the, the pitch black. Uh, and another one that the mycelium itself, the microscopic threads in the wood glow, but not the mushroom. And so when somebody chops open a, a dead stump and then leaves the, the fragments on the ground, that night, if you come back, those fragments will be glowing in the dark. No idea why they do it, uh, but it is quite interesting. Spooky. You can know you know now where the, some of these ghost stories come from. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's uh, and indeed Scandinavians would sometimes even line their their forest trails with bits of these uh, chopped up wood which glow in the dark. Um, handy, but uh, yeah, rather interesting. Brilliant, actually. Um, so are fungi vulnerable to climate change? Oh, absolutely. And um, I guess all organisms, and indeed our forests, are susceptible to changing climates. And as the temperatures increase, the, the need of trees and other plants for water increases. And if you have a hot, dry summer, well, that's just... Um, well, making things worse because the trees need more water and they're getting less, um, so the drought becomes more severe. And uh, so fungi are able to help with that to some extent, but if the uh, changing climate just keeps getting worse and worse, if Newfoundland were to become a desert environment, um, you know, your forests wouldn't survive. And I don't think it's going to be as extreme as that, but we will see some changes in the coming years. So uh, what's m most important, uh, the, the moisture, the temperature, a combination of both? Yeah, I would have to say a combination of both. Um, that, yeah, the trees, some of the, the trees that we have in places like Newfoundland and uh, northern Ontario, where they've, they've been accustomed to cool weather um, and a 
steady supply of, of precipitation or, or rain, um, they're not well adapted to hot spells, which go on for weeks, and dry spells, which go on for weeks or even months. And so we may, may see some uh, greater signs of stress in our forest trees, which may lead them to be more susceptible to forest pests like insects or uh, fungal diseases. Are there other threats to uh, fungi? I'm thinking in terms of uh, we just had these massive fires in central Newfoundland. Um, do they survive under the ground uh, once a forest fire rolls through, or, or does this cause a whole new process to begin? It will depend on the severity of the fire. Uh, often when a forest fire goes through the area, the, the trees, of course, uh, are scorched. Um, the litter, the, the dead leaves and branches on the forest floor may be burned up to ashes. But the soil beneath that litter is actually fairly unharmed. And in a light fire like that, the fungi will survive. And they'll help the, the trees that reseed the area after the fire to get going and obtain nutrients. In fact, they draw up those nutrients that are released from the, the ashes, uh, and they make them available to the next uh, crop of trees. But if there's a very severe fire, which uh, burns right down to mineral soil or even down to the rock, uh, no, the fungi won't survive that. And like you say, it'll just be a process of regeneration from scratch. Did we previously understand, um, you know, to the extent that we do now, this, this symbiotic relationship between uh, fungi and, and, and trees? It's been about 150 years that we've known that the relationship existed, but really the extent to which the fungi provide trees with nutrients and indeed allow trees to share resources such as sugars between um, you know, a parent tree and the seedlings or other species in the community. These are things that we've only come to, to realize in the last 20 years. Part of it uh, due to Canadian researcher uh, Suzanne Simard on the West Coast um, since the late 1990s. So this is quite recent information which is now percolating its way into uh, general ecology and biologists who realized that fungi are more important than perhaps they'd recognized in the past. Are there other threats to uh, fungi and their survival? I'm thinking development or, or anything else, uh, you know, introduced uh, species, those kinds of things? Sure, all of the above. I mean, fortunately in Newfoundland, you have less of some of that than we have in southern Ontario, where only less than 1% of our natural habitat uh, remains. Uh, an awful lot of it has been paved, and of course there's no mushrooms there. Um, and we have many, many more invasive species of plants and other organisms than uh, you have in Newfoundland, but you do have some, and of course, uh, you're all familiar with the, the moose and uh, red squirrels, and you could go on and list the, the vertebrates which have been added to the Newfoundland fauna. They've changed things, and earthworms, which were not native, have been brought to Newfoundland, and many other invertebrates as well. They do have effects on fungi, but I think you haven't seen as many of those effects in Newfoundland as we have in other parts of uh, Canada. 
Can they survive in a developed environment? I mean, I live in a suburban kind of area, and I was pleased to see mushrooms in my yard earlier this year. They're gone now, by the way. Uh, but, um, you know, can they survive in a, in a lawn, and, and how can you, I guess, keep them going? Well, that's that's great to hear, actually. Uh, usually we hear the opposite. How do I get rid of these things from my lawn? But uh, as you suggest, having mushrooms in your lawn is a sign of health in your lawn. And some species, yes, can survive in developed areas, suburban areas, uh, even downtown urban areas. There'll be a few mushrooms. Not the diversity that you see in the forest where Alicia works, uh, but... Um, Certainly some fungi can exist in, in urban areas. And a few years back, the foray Newfoundland even had forays in uh, basically downtown St. John's. Uh, Bowring Park and uh, Bannerman Park, we went and collected the mushrooms there, and uh, the diversity was quite interesting. Um, how can you keep it going? Well, uh, using compost, not applying too much pesticide or artificial fertilizer because in fact the uh, the mushrooms are helping to recycle nutrients for your lawn and for your your garden um, allowing dead leaves to uh, to accumulate instead of raking them all off and and sending them to a landfill site you can compost your leaves in a uh, you know a, a compost area and then use that decomposed leaf litter to uh, essentially fertilize the rest of your garden we always just left them <laughs> we just left them under our trees and and it's always where the greenest grass is oh for sure and so yeah you're starting to see an ecology there that's built on the the fungi making those connections recycling the nutrients and delivering the nutrients to the, the plants that need them I even know people that seek out uh, logs or or leave a, a felled tree on their properties for that reason. Sure, that provides habitat for mushrooms. You might even be able to eat some of those mushrooms, like oyster mushrooms that might fruit on a hardwood log in your backyard in a shady spot. Um, but also, there are many, many organisms that will uh, depend on that decomposing wood and the shelter that it provides underneath the log. Um, and so, yeah, it's anytime you can add natural habitat to your backyard, um, you're increasing the, the level of biodiversity that your yard supports. I'm going to ask you a, kind of a more chilling question now because I, I don't know if it was the nature of things or, or what I was watching, but it was talking about the importance of fungi. What happens if mushrooms and fungi can't thrive? I think by the time that the fungi have been exterminated, we will be long gone and won't won't know about it. Um, they will they will outlast us. Uh, but you know, it is certainly true that if uh, if you think of a post-apocalyptic world where climate change has done its worst, um, right? The the fungi won't serve the the diversity of fungi we know today won't survive that. Some fungi will survive. And yes, there will have to be a re-evolution of, of diversity, but I don't think we have to worry about that. I think we have to worry about much more proximate things. We have to uh, make sure that the world remains habitable for us. 
For sure. Uh, When we come back after the break, I'm going to talk with uh, Alicia and uh, Katrina a little bit further about their studies, what they do, what they'll be doing now over the course of the winter, and uh, when they're coming back, when we come back right after this. My guests today on On Target are with Western University out of London, Ontario. They include biology professor Greg Thorne, whom we just heard from, and master's students Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukol. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And our guests today are from Western University in London, Ontario. Well, why are we speaking to a group from London, Ontario? They just came out of some doing some field work here in Newfoundland and Labrador, studying mushrooms in this province. And they include biology professor Greg Thorne and master's students Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukol. And uh, Alicia, so what happens now? You you were out in the field. You gathered all this information and data. What what do you do next? So what I was doing while I was out there is collecting the roots of trees and putting them in all these little tubes. I think I have 700 little tubes, so quite a lot. And I've taken them back to London with me. And then over the next few months, I'll be extracting the DNA from those roots and then sequencing the DNA. And that'll tell me which fungi are where. And um, I, I assume then that, that it's not just about finding out what fungi are, are, are located there, but what their role might be. Yes, so my project focuses on those forest mushrooms that support the forest and how they're affected after reforestation. So essentially after a forest has been clear-cut, these nursery tree seedlings are planted in there. And those are just seedlings that have been grown in a nursery for the first few years of their life. And while they're in these nurseries, they actually develop their own connections with these fungi. And in most nurseries, close to 100% of the seedlings in there have these fungi. So it's very prominent. Um, But it's only a few species of fungi. So it's not a very diverse amount of fungi on there. And so after these seedlings are planted in the forest, I want to learn what happens to these fungi. So either the fungi from the forest can spread onto the seedlings or the fungi from the seedlings, those less diverse ones, can spread into the forest. So essentially I'm looking at the roots of the seedlings and then of the trees that were already in the forest and seeing if any fungi are moving from from one to the other. Trying to understand what those interrelationships are once they're established. Yeah, so trying to see if these nursery seedlings and the fungi that come with them have any negative effects on our forest. For sure. Were you able to, uh, I know you don't want to talk about drawing any conclusions, but uh, um, were you able, to, are you satisfied knowing that you've, you've, you've um, collected enough to, to help you with that hypothesis? Yes. Yeah, so I don't have any concrete results yet, but I have some very, very preliminary results. And there were a few fungal species I saw that jumped from the nursery, or sorry, from the forest. Uh, fungi to the nursery seedlings. And that must be encouraging then. Yes, it was incredible to see. Um, I have some more results coming in the next few weeks, so I'm very excited to see if there's more of that happening. And Katrina, what will you be doing now the winter? So for me, it's quite similar to what Alicia did, but instead of roots, I sampled soil from the coastal environments, and I'll be 
processing them through uh, DNA extraction and amplification and sequencing to really see what's in the soil. And I also have some nematodes in tubes and arthropods as well. And I'll do, be doing the exact same thing as the soil samples with the extraction and such. And that's what I'll be focusing on for the next few months. And you're heading back, is that right, for 4 l No, Alicia will be, unfortunately. Ah, it's Alicia. So, Alicia, you're coming back. Yes. So what draws you to 4 l Well, two things. I love mushrooms and I love Newfoundland. <laughs> so it's the perfect event for me. Right. And, I mean, it's become so popular. And uh, there are people out there who are... Hmm, how do I put it? They're a little bit protective over their mushroom locales and where they go uh, picking them, especially when it comes to chanterelles. What are your favorite types of mushroom? Well, chanterelles, I would say, are my favorite because they are the main ones I study um, and have been studying since 2019. But actually, we ate some of Katerina's mushroom, the bluet, this uh, past fall, and they were really good. They're, I would say, my second favorite. So did they have very different properties when it comes to taste and texture and all that kind of thing? I would say they have a similar texture as most mushrooms do, um, but definitely different taste. The chanterelles are more fruity. And that was that's what makes them so coveted, I would imagine. Oh, yes. So um, uh, mushroom picking, is that uh, an issue, um, uh, Greg? You know, does that cause any problems? As far as we know, uh, there's no real impact of picking the mushrooms. It would be like having an apple tree and deciding one year that you were going to pick all the apples. You wouldn't expect the apple tree to die the next year. Um, and that's effectively what the mushrooms are. They're the fruits of the fungi that are growing through the soil. And so I think any amount of picking pressure is is not going to be harmful to the biology of the fungi so long as the forest itself stays in good health. And so if it were to come to the point that foragers were tearing up the environment looking for their mushrooms, then then there would be some potential damage. But um, we're, we're mostly talking about above-ground mushrooms, not truffles. And truffle hunting, truffles are, of course, underground mushrooms and highly prized. Uh, we don't know of any uh, commercially uh, edible truffles in Newfoundland. So there's no truffle industry there, and there's no one foraging for truffles at any great uh, extent. But truffling sometimes does tear up the forest soil and the roots of the trees and other plants there and can be somewhat destructive. But just picking above-ground mushrooms is probably no no more harm than picking blueberries. And are you coming back for 4 L? I will be, yes. So, yeah, we're headed to uh, Lionel Max Sims Cap near uh, Grand Falls, Windsor. Fantastic. So when is this? That's uh, toward the end of uh, September. I believe it's uh, the last weekend in September. And is fall the best time for mushrooms? I'm thinking, you know, it's a little bit damper. There's a lot of uh, uh, damp leaf litter on the ground and uh, the temperatures are a bit cooler. 
Yeah, all of that's true. And indeed, uh, for mushrooms, the fall is typically the best season. As Alicia and Katerina know, there are um, certainly mushrooms out there in the woods in July through August and into September. But um, September, October are, are really prime times for mushrooms in Newfoundland and many parts of uh, Canada. And Alicia and Katrina, are you coming back next year? I think I will be, but not for this project. I'm hoping a different project. Oh, how exciting. We'll have to get you on again to talk about that. Well, we're completely out of time, but I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Thanks so much to all three of you, uh, biology professor Greg Thorne and master's students Alicia Banwell and Katrina Kukul, uh, all from Western University in London, Ontario, studying mushrooms in Newfoundland and Labrador, and why not? It sounds like we have a lot going on out there. And Dave Williams, who is our producer, is a bit of a mushroom head. Can I say that? Um, Thank you very much. All right. And I just want to say thanks to all Newfoundlanders, especially our our mushroom supporters out there from uh, Bill Bryden, our partner with New Spora in Lumsden and uh, folks from the Foray Newfoundland and Labrador who have hosted me for more than 15 years now. Fabulous. Well, thanks uh, all three of you and uh, all the best. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about uh, sharing information (laughs) generationally. Uh, When we come back tomorrow, stay tuned for that. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone.